Amen. It is uh, just really good uh, to be a part of a church that is functioning well, a church of all sorts of different kinds of people. I got to meet with a couple of newer families in the church this week, and what one of them pointed out to me, this is like one thing they loved as they came into this fellowship is just recognizing that, uh, that there's there's not like one certain type of person. There's, there's a diversity in ages. There's young people, but it's not just a young people's church. There's old people, but it's not just an old people's church. There's all kinds of different people, and I'm very, very grateful for that. Uh, part of what comes with that diversity, even diversity of age like that, is different perspectives and different opinions on all things. And so we're not drawn together necessarily because we share the same perspective an opinion on all things. Like some of you actually like bananas. I think they're disgusting. Uh, some of you, uh, you know, prefer using one color of farm equipment over the other. Some of you like country music. Others of you like good music, right? So, so, so we're not, I've used that joke before. It's good. It works. Um, we're not, though, tied together, are we, by our preferences and opinions in relatively unimportant things. We're tied together as a church by what we believe, and today we really get to the core of what that is. And we have occasionally over the last few weeks been uh, reciting together parts of our statement of faith. So the Evangelical Free Church of America has 10 things. We, we can have different preferences and opinions and all sorts of different things, but there's 10 things that we say, this is what binds us together. This we will hold on to very tightly because it is good news. And today, Article 5 of our Statement of Faith really ties in well with the passage I'm going to preach. And so, Elijah's going to put that up on the screen. I want you to look at it again before we recite it together. I want you to be sure we're not just going to like blindly recite things together. Look at it, read it. If you agree, then I'm going to invite you in just a minute to recite it together with one another. So go ahead and look at it. It's good news, and so let's recite it together if you believe it. We believe that Jesus Christ, as our representative and substitute, shed his blood on the cross as the perfect, all-sufficient sacrifice for our sins. His atoning death and victorious resurrection constitute the only ground for salvation. It's good news. Good summary. We're halfway through our Gospel Essential series. We started it right after, just on the heels of Easter, rather than jumping right back into a new book of the Bible. That's our custom. We start at the beginning of a book, we go to the end, but we're taking a six-week break following up on Easter after we heard from 1 Corinthians 15 that we're to be people who receive the Gospel who stand on the gospel and who hold fast to the gospel. And I figure if we're going to do those things, we better get a pretty good grasp on what the gospel is all about. So we're doing six weeks called Gospel Essentials, a different passage each week. And just for review, the first three kind of lay out for us a weighty kind of predicament that we're in. Gospel Essential number one came from Revelation chapter 4. The gospel begins with God, who is holy, almighty, eternal creator on the throne and worthy of worship. Number two, we are sinners, all of us, accountable to God and unable to save ourselves. We saw that, didn't we, in Romans chapter 3, verses 9 through 20. 
And then we went back to the beginning of that passage last week, Romans 1, 18 through 2, 5, to see this truth, that God judges justly, pouring out wrath on sinners. And so those first three gospel essentials really kind of leave us in a state of desperation. Because if God really is that glorious God revealed in Scripture, and if I really am as sinful as Scripture says that I am, and if God really does judge justly, pouring out wrath on sinners, then we are in a serious predicament and are desperately in need of help, of salvation. And so today we get to the very heart of the good news. We're going to look at the passage that comes on the tail end of the larger chunk that we were looking at over the last two weeks, and that is Romans chapter 3, verses 21 to 26. The Protestant reformer Martin Luther called this passage the center of the whole Bible. It really ties together each of the three gospel essentials so far and points us to the hope that we have in Jesus. Now, it's only six verses But it's not the kind of passage you just kind of like read through really quickly and say, oh yeah, I got it. We need to take some time, even more time than we'll take in a 30-minute sermon. So I encourage you throughout the week to look at it more deeply. But today we'll see, I think, if the Holy Spirit gives us eyes to see it, this truth. Only through faith in Jesus can sinners be justified by God and saved from His wrath. Only Through faith in Jesus, can sinners be justified by God and saved from His wrath? We see this, I think, in Romans chapter 3, verses 21 to 26. If you're able to, would you stand as we prepare to read the Word of God? We prepare by praying, and so let's do that. Uh, Father, as Pastor Nick already prayed, I pray that you would give me words uh, that are in line with your word, that, that share the message and the tone of this text with these people. We know that's what we need. We don't need somebody's preferences or opinions. We need your spirit to work through your word to build up your church. And so would you, for all of us who have all sorts of things going on in our minds and hearts, would you, would you draw us to yourself through the reading and preaching of your word even now? We know that would be good for us, that would be good for others, and that would be glorifying to you. So please do it in Jesus' name. Amen. The Word of God from Romans 3, 21 through 26. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness, because in His divine forbearance He had passed over former sins. It was to show His righteousness at the present time, so that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Amen. You can be seated. Inside your bulletin, there is a sermon outline and life group guide. I encourage you to use that uh, today if that's helpful and throughout the week if that's helpful as well. 
so a predicament really was set up through what we've looked at the last weeks. So I just want to look at one more verse in review, looking for context here. Flip back, even though we're starting today in chapter 3, verse 21, look at chapter 3, verse 20. Here's where it kind of left us hanging. It says, For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. And so, so that really just highlights the predicament. Because the predicament is, we have a God who is perfectly holy and righteous on the throne and worthy of worship, and then we've seen this, haven't we, as we've gone through, that we are sinners, all of us, accountable to God, and it makes pretty clear here that we're unable to save ourselves. We're not going to be able to like get the law well enough that we do it well enough in order to attain the righteousness that is necessary for us to be in relationship with God. Right, so that's the predicament. Here's what's required to be in right relationship with God, and all of us are unable to attain that for ourselves. So you see the predicament that is left for us as we jump into verse 21 now. I love the two glorious words that start this, and we see these all over Scripture. This is one of the best. But now. So there's this, there's this predicament that we're in, and then these glorious words in verse 21, but now, right? But now, the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. So, so, so the law, unable to save us, we're unable to obey the law to such a degree that we attain the righteousness that's required for us to be in right relationship with God. The law is not bad, it's just insufficient to accomplish what we need to have accomplished. We want and we need the righteousness of God or the righteousness that comes from God. That's what we need. If we're going to live in right relationship with God, we need the righteousness of of God, but we can't get it on our own, but we can get it in another way, and that's what verse 21 and the beginning of 22 shares. It comes apart from the law. How does it come? You're going to see this phrase over and over again, through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, through faith for those who believe. This is our only hope. It's not like, oh, I've got a predicament and I think there's something I can do to make up for it. He's making clear right away here, there's there's really nothing you can do. It's almost, here's an imperfect illustration. Um, But you're aware maybe of world geography to such a degree that you know that Venezuela is on the northern coast of South America. And you might know current events well enough to know that Venezuela right now is a horrible place to live. If I lived there, I wouldn't want to live there. Right, because of a number of different circumstances. If I were a Venezuelan citizen looking at a map and hearing news of a place that was much better to live, say the United States of America, and I would see just a little bit of blue space uh, between Venezuela and, and the United States, and I would just like, all right, I'm getting in the ocean, I'm out, I'm going. And I started swimming, I probably would not even make it without of, like farther than being able to turn back and still see the coast of Venezuela before I would find myself drowning. 
My only hope at that point would be that a ship come and rescue me. Somebody pull me out. My, my dead, lifeless, limp, drowned body out of the water resuscitate me and take me to a better place. Now, the problem isn't the map, right? It wasn't the map's fault. It, it's, just, it's just the reality that because of the distance, I was unable on my own to, to kind of close in that gap, but I needed to be rescued and taken there. Again, an imperfect illustration, but we are in a predicament of infinitely greater seriousness. We are sinners, accountable to God, unable to save ourselves. We rightly deserve God's just judgment for our sin, and there's no way we can swim our way into a right relationship with God. We only get there one way. It is by faith in the Rescuer, our Savior, Jesus Christ. So that's the solution. How does it come? By faith. Through faith, for all who believe is how it ends there in verse 22. And then we're reminded of the predicament just just because he wants to make sure we get this is the predicament. So the end of verse 22 into verse 23, for there is no distinction. I think he's referring to no distinction between Jew and Gentile. That's what he's been laying out throughout the whole letter so far. It doesn't matter if you're religious or, or wildly sinful, right? All of us, here's the truth, verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We are sinners, right? All of us. That's what we said before, like all of us and all of us. We are sinners. And this is especially grievous because the one against whom we have ultimately sinned is the God who is holy, almighty, eternal creator on the throne and worthy of worship. We've fallen short of His glory. That's our predicament. And then we're again reminded of the reality that God judges justly, pouring out His wrath on sinners. So there's the predicament. We're all sinners, and our just God must judge sinners, meaning all of us deserve the wrath of God. So predicament here again, and then we hear of the glorious solution, starting in verse 24. Verse 24, we were told earlier, right, in verses 21 and 22, there's a way that we can have the righteousness of God, and it's through faith. But we want to know more detail about how that actually works out. How does that transaction take place? How do we sinners get the righteousness of God? Verse 24, and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. There's a couple of words there I want to spend a little bit of time on. Justified. That's the first big word that we see there in verse 24. And are justified by His grace. Justified can simply mean this, just declared righteous. So unrighteous sinners like us, can't be in a right relationship with a righteous and holy God, yet the God, the very one we have offended, gives us this free gift of justification. He declares us righteous, declares us able to be in right relationship with God. And he does this as a gift. The gift is justification. 
It's not something we win by our own efforts. It's given by His grace. Right? Did you see that? And are justified by His grace as a gift. Okay? So it's, it's not something we can swim our way towards and work our way towards. It's something that's given as a gift, justification, being declared righteous. And how does that come? Well, let's continue in verse 24. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Redemption is basically a price paid to release prisoners of war or slaves. This is good news. Jesus has redeemed sinners. People like us. Slaves to sin. Prisoners of unrighteousness. Set free because Jesus paid our ransom. We sing about redemption quite a bit. We did even this morning. Did you notice that? Now my debt is paid. It is paid in full by the precious blood that our Jesus spilled. Price paid by Jesus. Sent of heaven God's own son to purchase and redeem. Right? We, we just sung about it this morning because it's true. We sing about it quite often. Jesus paid it all. But this I know with all my heart, his wounds have paid my ransom, right? We, we sing often of what Jesus has done to pay the price for our redemption, to take people like us, slaves to sin, prisoners of unrighteousness, and set us free. Now the curse of sin has no hold on me, right? Whom the Son sets free is free indeed. That's what we sing about. Justification and redemption are glorious truths that we see both in one verse right here. But, but then, let me, let me just acknowledge, though, that there's a little predicament, again, we kind of keep going back and forth from predicament to solution, there's a little predicament that comes with this. I mean, this sounds like a great and glorious gift, and it is, that sinners like us can be declared righteous by God, that the price is paid, but the question that remains that gives us a bit more of a predicament is this, can God be good and just if he does not punish sin or sinners. Remember last week, we tried to make clear that a God who would look at sin and evil and just shrug his shoulders and call that which is not good, good, that would not be a good or just God, right? So how can our God look at a sinner like me? I mean, just think about yourself. Let's be honest, right? How could God look at a sinner like me and declare us righteous? Doesn't he need to punish sin in order to be just? Yes, he does. So how, what's the solution there? Well, let's go to verse 25. Verse 25 says this. It just said Christ Jesus at the end of verse 24. Whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. Okay, well that's a big word. Maybe justification you knew, maybe redemption you knew, and then we get to this big word propitiation. What is that about? A simple definition would just be this, to satisfy or soak up God's wrath. God puts forward Jesus the Son to be the propitiation Verse 25, see that? Whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by 
faith. Jesus has done this. Has been the one who would satisfy or soak up God's wrath. God has offered his son to be the sacrifice that he demands. So earlier when we quoted our statement of faith together, we said Jesus is our representative and substitute. Jesus is uniquely qualified to be our representative because Jesus is fully man. Yes, he's fully God, but also he's fully man. He is the new and better Adam. He is the king, the great high priest, the one who represents us before God. Jesus is our representative, and Jesus is also, as our representative, stands in our place as our substitute, willingly taking on our sin, so taking on our sin and absorbing or satisfying the wrath of God against sin and sinners. Again, we talk about this. We see it all over Scripture. We sing about it all the time. Let's look at where we see this in Scripture. First of all, I mean, 1 Corinthians 15.3, where we started this whole series on Easter Sunday, right? Jesus died for our sins. He was standing in as our substitute. Now, look at this. 1 Peter 2, verse 24. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Or 1 Peter 3.18, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous, that's Jesus, for the unrighteous, that's us, a substitution, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. And then, 2 Corinthians 5.21, for our sake he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is the great exchange that I kind of ended with last week to just, because I couldn't leave us hanging with the bad news, had to make sure we heard the good news as well. That is this, that Jesus takes on our sin and the wrath of God that we deserved and we as a gift, by His grace, through faith in Jesus, have the righteousness of God imputed to us. The sin of man and wrath of God has been on Jesus laid. We just sang that this morning. So you see how this works? Sin is punished, and by God's grace, through faith, we are saved. So let's read the rest of verses 25 and 26 whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. This is how God shows his righteousness, not by lowering his standard or allowing sin to go on forever unpunished, but For a time, forbearing, and then eventually giving up his own son, who lives a perfectly obedient life and dies in the place of all who trust in him. And this is the way that God, then, can be just. Remember, we we don't have, we don't want, we can't have a God who would be a good God that would just shrug his shoulders at sin like it's not a big deal, right? So, God, who is both just and justifier of those who have faith in Jesus. That's the heart of the gospel, really. 
these first, if these first three gospel essentials are true, that the gospel begins with a God who is holy, almighty, on the throne, eternal creator, worthy of our worship, that we are sinners, all of us, accountable to God and unable to save ourselves, and that God judges justly, pouring out wrath on sinners. And if that's all we have, we don't have the gospel yet, right? We've got, we've got a lot of good news, bad news, but we don't have the gospel yet because we just have a predicament that we're left in until we get to gospel essential number four. Only through faith in Jesus can sinners be justified by God and saved from his wrath. So that's where we got today. What's the application of this? Two application points for two groups of people. Not all of us here today are Christians. I just wouldn't believe that that's really true, right? I can't, can't believe that there's like 150 people gathered in one room and every single one has been saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus. I don't doubt, think, think about this, I don't doubt that you're here for some reason. Maybe you just like, you're in church because you like it. You feel welcomed by the people here. That's great. Maybe you're new to this church thing. Maybe church has been a thing that you've been doing for a long time. Maybe you find the preaching interesting. Maybe you sing the songs and you like the music. Maybe you know some things about God. Maybe you read the Bible some on your own. Maybe you try to be good and maybe you've tried even harder lately to be good. But the big question for you is this. Have you turned and trusted in Jesus? Do you believe? Listen, just just hear me out. I'm not interested in whether you like the church or like the preaching. Whatever. What I want to know is have you turned and trusted in Jesus? Do you believe that the God that we're talking about and singing to and about, that he is worthy of worship and that you are a sinner who deserve God's judgment? Do you believe that you are accountable to God and that you cannot swim? You cannot make your way to Him. I need you to hear this. Only through faith in Jesus can you be justified by God and saved from His wrath. Do you hear that today? It's really at the heart of the gospel. If you hear that, do you believe that? If you do, then your response is really simple but life-changing. Repent. Turn. That just means, this is what I think about sin. I'm living with sin as my master. I love sin. And just saying, God, you're doing something in me. And I I love you suddenly more than sin. So I'm going to turn from sin, and I'm going to trust in Jesus. I'm going to turn from sin that maybe it doesn't even look all that bad compared to other people. It just looks like me thinking I can do what I need to do to get in right relationship with God. That's sin too. And so, God, today I'm turning away from that and I'm, I'm banking 100% on Jesus and not on me. I know that what Christ has done is sufficient. It's the only way for me to be rescued and to be justified and saved from your wrath. And so, you just share with him, God, I, I turn and I trust in Jesus today. Now, if that's what you're doing today, I would love to hear that because that's not just, I mean, so it's something you can do in private, but it's something that then becomes public, right? When, uh, when we were just talking about this in Sunday school, when Peter's preaching a message and shares the gospel on the day of Pentecost, lots of people hear and they're cut to the heart and they say, well, what should we do? And his answer is repent and be baptized, every one of you. 
We're doing baptism in two weeks. Today, if you're turning and trusting to Jesus, or if you have turned and trusted to Jesus, and you haven't been led, be baptized. Let's do that. Come and talk to me. Love to talk to you about this. If this is your response to this good news today, I'm not going to have you repeat words after me. I don't want your assurance to rest on you saying just the right words. It's just you coming with your heart before God and acknowledging these things that we've talked about. I love to hear work that God is doing. So turn and trust, and then application two is delight and declare. Because there's many of us who are gathered in this place today because we have responded to Jesus by turning to Him, trusting in Him. We're Christians. Again, not because we were raised in the right home or the right church or we've been religious for a long time, but we're Christians. Why? Because by God's grace, we've received the free gift of justification through faith in Jesus. We were people that know that our sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross and we bear it no more. So what do we do? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, oh my soul, right? We delight in this truth. We can't skip the gospel essentials that make clear. These first three, it was important that we go through them. There was a weightiness, there was a heaviness to the predicament laid out by the first three gospel essentials. And it's good to be reminded of our sin, but Christian, we can't just hang out there. We need to be reminded of the transforming work that has come by God's grace as a gift through faith in Jesus. We can't dwell there. John Calvin in his Institutes, book 3, chapter 3, says this, Sorrow for sin is necessary, but it should not be perpetual. Quit the anxious and painful recollection of your ways. Arise to a remembrance of divine blessings. And when you reflect on your own meanness, reflect also on your Lord's goodness. Right? We, we go through those first gospel essentials to acknowledge, this is who I am, and it's ugly in so many ways. I'm deserving of God's judgment, and God is so good that He would send His own Son to die in my place for my sins, that I might be justified by grace through faith in Jesus. And so this is something for us as Christians to delight in, and we cannot hear it enough and delight in it enough. And then we who delight in it must declare it. That's what we've been talking about in our Sunday school class. Right? The heart of our testimony is not a prayer I prayed one time, but it's on the, based on the good news of Jesus Christ and what He has done, not what I have done. This is good news that must be shared. So we've said this, evangelism is telling others the good news about what Christ has done to save sinners and calling them to repent and trust in Him. This is what we get to do. As people who have been saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus, we delight in this truth and we declare this truth to others. We're going to continue for two more weeks, a couple more gospel essentials. Um, but I love this one. This is right at the heart of what it's all about. And so if you've got questions about it, you want to wrestle through, you've got questions, you've got, you've got to just tell me, hey, today's the day. God's stirring in my heart in such a way that I'm, I'm, I'm turning and I'm trusting in Jesus. I'd love to hear about that. Let's talk. I got my contact information in the bulletin. But let's close before we sing together by praying together. God, thank you that you have made a way for sinners like us to be saved from your just wrath. 
Thank you for loving the world so that you gave your only son to take on our sin and absorb your wrath as our representative and substitute. God, I pray that that good news would resonate in the hearts and minds of people today who need to turn and trust and be saved. And I pray that those truths too would resonate among those of us who have been saved, that we would delight in and declare this good news. This good news that you, God, are not against us, but for us. So I pray that you would help us to raise our voices together now, convinced of your great love for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead.